time now to speak to the world's greatest commentator and uh, a big friend of the Diego's, Martin Tyler. Welcome to the Four Diego's. You know I come on even without the big billing. (laughs) You must must go easy with that. It offends my natural modesty. But thank you, and it's a pleasure to talk to you again. It's it's our pleasure. It's Rodrigo Rodriguez here. We've got Vinny Venezuela, Warren Diego, and and Carlos Alberto Diego. Uh, Martin, the first time we interviewed you was in 19... 96. Um, oh, can, you, can you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I can remember 1996 better than 2016, I think. You know, that's the consequence of ageing, isn't it? And you've come to me on my birthday. so uh, Oh, happy uh, birthday. Birthday anniversary. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. You've had so much experience for a 27-year-old too, Martin. <laughs> I did start very young. Oh, Martin, if I'd known that, I would have uh, thrown more platitudes your way. But... Uh, but, but no, look, it, it is great to have you on, and we haven't spoken to you for a little while, so how do we find you? You know, it's obviously your birthday, you're, uh, we, we hear that you're uh, on, on FIFA, you know, you're one of the commentators on that, so, has you, you know, how's your life these days? Well, much the same, uh, I'm very lucky to still be um, uh, asked to go and commentate on football matches, I work for Sky Sports over here. Um, I work for UEFA on the Euro 2016, um, and I, I don't know whether I should say this, but you guys are special people. Um, I've had a first initial approach to work for SBS on the World Cup finals in Russia. So wow. It was really, really nice to get that uh, email from Ken Ship, who's uh, a very influential man in the, um, in the organization, and I hope we can, we can come up with something, because I'd, I'd love to keep going to do that. So. No, I still think I'm 30 years younger than I actually am and <laughs> trying to fight the tide of time as we all are. But I'm, I'm, it's a lot easier when you, you have such a, a privileged occupation, way of life, really, to be around young footballers and all the energy and all the quality and all the dynamism um, and, and one or two other factors as well, which aren't always quite as palatable. It's a, it's a tough old business, isn't it, at the top of uh, the game we love. But, um, you know, it's great to play a small part in it and I hope I can continue to do that. Martin, as part of that approach, you should be pushing for the Diegos to be there with you. <laughs> we can bring you drinks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I think, I think the build-up and the post-show, I think, you know, it'd be oh. perfect. Not the commentary, though. I, I, I don't know I can handle all of you together. <laughs> no. No, that's fine. We, we, now, we, now, we now have um, we have an extra person. We have two other voices on our Sky Sports commentary for the, for the main game. So it, I suppose it helps me a bit because I just sort of identify the odd player and tell how, how much time has gone and let the others analyse the game. So, um, but uh, no, I, it would be it's really nice to talk to you guys seriously, and, and it would be it would be great to do that in any in any circumstance. Martin, it's Carlos. Uh... Obviously, when we first interviewed you back in 1996, you were the world's greatest commentator then, and you've been going for a while. Are you still loving calling the games as much as you always have? And what's changed over the years? You know, obviously, you know, I'm not sure what sort of mics they had back there and what sort of technology, but it surely has changed now. Well, you picked on the one thing that hasn't changed, actually. There are what we call the lip mic. Um, you've, you've all seen photos of commentators, I'm sure, working with, with that bar across the top lip, and uh, it blocks out a lot of the sound from, from the actual crowd, so you can, you, your voice can be heard without sort of mingling in with, um, with the crowd noise for those big moments in the game. So that hasn't changed. Um, uh, I think the principles of the job really haven't changed too much. 
Um, but of course, the game itself has changed a lot, and it is um, it, it, it's now played on better playing surfaces with. Um, I think more intensity than ever on the result. I think that's probably um, everything is pretty short term you know, for, for particularly the coaches, um, the players too. You, 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 I know I know they're well looked after in terms of contract and indeed in terms of money. But um, you know there is still uh, every game is a, it's an adventure for them, um, and uh, I think it, it's moved generally from what we call the back pages over here. I'm not quite sure how your newspapers covers for what part of the paper it is, but back page was it was basically in in, in the sports demeanour, and now it's um, very much on the front page as well. So it's, it's been great to be part of it as it's as it's blossomed. It's not perfect. I would be foolish to pretend that, but. Um, I do think it's genuinely a force for good in the world, in a, in a difficult world that we, we can all, um, you know, talk to each other about about football matches, and it might not seem that important, but actually it is something that everybody, um, and seems to be in, in pretty much every country, um, different political divides uh, are bridged by by the, the love of, of of the world game, and um, sometimes I'm sounding a bit pious here, boys. <laughs> I don't mean to be that, but. Um, you know, I, I do think it's um, it's something that I've been proud to be uh, attached to, and and I think the game itself can hold its head up. I know there are people, you know, the the the, the politics of it, the um, uh, the sense of lack of leadership, perhaps at times, and and all that's been going on uh, around the uh, top executives of running the world game, obviously has been quite unsavoury. But it's getting sorted out, and, and I think football just reflects every other aspect of the world. And, and you know, in, in any industry, there are, there are the good guys and the bad guys, and we always hope the good guys come out on top. Martin, just to follow on from that, I'm just wondering, in the 25 years or so that we've been speaking to you, what about the aesthetics of the game, the excitement, the way the game is looks and is played? And I suppose... I'd ask you to comment on a club level in terms of the Premier League and, and British football that you know so well, and also tournament football, the World Cups and the European Cups. In terms of, are the games as exciting? Is it as good to watch? Is it aesthetically better than it ever has been? I think you can take both sides of that argument. I mean, there's a counter-attacking game now, which is thrilling and great to commentate on. You can see these breakaway goals happening with great speedy players and, and great passing at the top by breakneck speed to get from one end to the other. Um, and, and I think that's probably something that's come about with the better playing surfaces and, and more athletic training for the for the players. And, and I think that the way the coaches have looked at the game as well, and I do think that is... Um, uh, you know that that that's great fun to watch, and I go to every game um, with an open mind, thinking I'm going to be, uh, you know, on my metal to get it right. You know, as a commentator, and of course you don't always do that, but you're always striving to keep up with it. I think that's so the the pace of it, and and um, you know, we have to judge it by the people who go to the the games now, and then they, they, they still sell out here. Um, I think the, the the other side that that probably slightly great with me is that more and more decisions about the so-called good of the game are made for commercial reasons and it, I know it is an industry um, 
but it has to maintain its sense of competition and and I don't think there should be any guarantees. I'm, I'm probably alluding to the way that it might be a big debate because we've got a new president of UEFA actually just voted in in the European, obviously controlling European football. But the big clubs want to get a bigger piece of the pie without actually um, earning it on the field, on, on the historical grounds. That doesn't resonate well with me at all. I don't think there should be any guarantees in sport. I think you should have to have to get what you what you achieve in terms of success by doing it not not because you are this club or that club so i think that's that's probably the downside of it but no i i i never set off or sit up you know when the two teams come out and you start broadcasting you've got to have that feeling of thrill and potential in, in inside you and and you can't cheat on your own emotions that feeling of potential and excitement is still with me Martin Vinny Venezuela here. I'm just uh, picking up on what you were saying about preparing for a for a broadcast of a game. Is there anything in particular that you do to set up for commentary? Is there a, some sort of research that you sort of focus on, or does your wealth of experience just come out on the day, or is it a bit of both? I'm just interested, and, and I ask it on behalf of all of those people who've just enjoyed your commentary throughout the years. Um, I always get asked how long does it take to prepare for a game, and and, and my answer is quite simple: it's how long have I got? Um, if I've got a week, then I'll take a week because you can do a week's preparation. If I've, um, you know, doing the tournaments, you might have a few hours between matches. Be doing matches maybe every day for for ten days, different matches, different teams uh, in the in the European Championship. Um, with, with the 24 nations that we just had in, in June and July over here, uh, I covered 17 of the countries, and um, and I didn't do England, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so one that I, would have been you know a bit of bread and butter for me, I suppose. <laughs> um, so there were, there were, it seemed a lot a, a, a lot of detail, and, they, and you have to you first of all you have to be able to identify the players, and you need to have the the relevant information really, and. Um, uh, sometimes that that's a matter of opinion <laughs> what is relevant and what isn't um but no you can keep going every you know every every match has obviously two teams it has um squads of um what well, mostly 18 players and certainly the champions league games you're dealing with a team sheet with 36 players you've got a referee to research as well you've got the history of the fixture there's a there's a lot to do and some, most of it is is just there if you need it, and you don't need it. Um, but if you do need it, you hope you hope you can find it. And um, that that again is not an exact science. And obviously, interpreting the game as it unfolds is what I particularly enjoy doing. Seeing seeing how the teams do square up to each other, and um, you know, we we are very much focusing over here on on uh, head coaches or managers, call them what you will. Because they're very high profile. In fact, uh, the last game I did for, for Sky Sports was the Manchester derby on on uh, Saturday lunchtime our time, and obviously it was Manchester United against Manchester City, but it was more put out as Mourinho versus Guardiola. And um, on, on Friday night here, Saturday morning your time, we've we've got. Um, Conte versus Klopp, which in actually in old money is Chelsea versus Liverpool, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know that that's 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 another side to it. So um, you can never know too much, but it's it's about not getting stifled by, and most importantly, not stifling the listener about it, because you know I believe you've got to let the game breathe, and I think my natural personality does that. I don't think I've learned to do that. I'm, I couldn't do radio. 
uh, because you have to talk all the time. And although I'm talking all the time here, <laughs> and forgive me for that, um, uh, I, I, when I'm watching football, the, the, the natural pauses um, you know, fit me better with television. And then obviously we have co-commentators who also you know, give, you, give you a chance to, to watch the game while they're talking. Here in the field, Four Diego's, we're speaking with Birthday Boy and the world's greatest <laughs> commentator, Martin Tyler. Martin, it's Carlos again. Um, over the last couple of decades, we've been covering the game, and even even before that, the the, the most uh, expensive player in the world tended to be, you know, the best player in the world. You know, maybe maybe the, in the best two or three players in the world. Uh, with Paul Pogba's uh, transfer to Manchester Manchester United from Juventus. Uh, in the off season, uh, you know, becoming the the most expensive player of all time in that transfer, um, it, it, he, he, I don't think he, he'd fall under the category as one of the best players in the world with Messi still playing or Ronaldo still playing, Neymar still playing. If if I'm not sure whether you agree with that or not, but something seems to be happening with the currency, you know, uh, in world football. It, it it doesn't always seem to be, you know, uh, aligned with the best players, the amount of money you pay. Do you see well, that happening? They're not for sale at the moment, are they? I think if they were for sale, yeah. it, you would get new record fees. But um, uh, it is about supply and demand, isn't it? And, and the situation involving um, the dynamics, the financial dynamics of, of the league that are buying or selling. And um, Paul Pogba um, uh, became available um, at a time where... The new TV deal um, around the Premier League, both from within the UK and and, and the overseas rights as well, has just uh, escalated. So the money is there, and, and uh, I don't always agree with what Jose Mourinho says, but when he said we've got the money, why shouldn't we spend it? He's absolutely right, and you know they, they held out for a big deal. It, it's it's an intriguing transfer. Be, I mean, he isn't you know you expect you're going to get 20 or 30 goals a season from uh, a player you pay that sort of money. For, but he's a sort of symbol of, of Manchester United um, rebranding and, and redeveloping their, their after three rather lean years by their standards, very lean years by their standards, um, that they're going to get going again. Um, and of course, the, the, the odd thing about that is that they had him, <laughs> and then they let, mm. he wanted to go. They, they couldn't stop him going, and now they've had to pay a fortune to get him back. Um, but he didn't do particularly well in the derby. He'd be he'd be the first to say that. But I think there's a lot of potential there to influence matches and get Manchester United as uh, as they're striving to get back to the glories that they had under under the management of Alex Ferguson. Martin, you mentioned the managers and how the story is about them in many ways. I'm wondering if we've got the greatest collection of managers that we've ever seen in the Premier League and. I suppose commenting on their differences, I watch Liverpool TV a lot over here and, and watch docos on Paisley and Shankly and those managers at Liverpool where the story was always about the players and the culture and now it seems very much about the managers and what they're trying to to put. Where where do you think the balance should lie and do you think it's a good thing that we have these subplots in all the games that the big teams are involved in? Well, funny enough, going back to what you asked me earlier about what's changed, um, when I started commentating, we very rarely had any shots of the, the benches during the games. We didn't have enough cameras, probably, that was the reason. But the, play, the, the managers weren't seen as that, that important. And they wore track suits, and they were just sort of part of the training, getting the players fit to play, and it was all about the players. 
Um, now they wear the most expensive suits that you could possibly buy, and uh, you know they, they the cameras are on them all the time, um, and and they are engaging people, and I think rather like politicians as as the years have gone by, they've become television has made them successful. If, if you're if I mean if if you're any good at talking in politics. Um, and you've got a good look about you, you, you've got a better chance because the TV likes you. And now in, in, in football management as well, if, if you're TV friendly in terms of your antics on the bench, and, and Jurgen Klopp is very much in, you know, I just hope he doesn't lose his glasses again when I'm commentating <laughs> on, on Friday because I, I'm running out of things to say about uh, puns on spectacles are not that easy to come by. Um, but, uh, he, he, you know, they, they are they are the... The, the the voice of you know they relate to the uh, they do press conferences all the time they're on the television all the time the players most of the players don't front up for the media don't have to um, on that sort of basis so personality players uh, are often just through their antics so the right kind of antics and the emotive word you know their skills on the field um, and they, they don't always come out and talk about it but the managers have to talk all the time and you want their reaction straight after games it's now compulsory for them to speak to the world before the game and uh, a player gets rolled out as well but you know he, he he gets three questions and the answers you can probably understand what's coming before they're even said so they are the mature voice of uh, from inside the dressing room and um, yeah, I, I I prefer to talk about the players because they're the ones I, I do a, a bit of coaching myself, and I know that if without good players, doesn't matter what you are as a coach, you might get an extra five percent out of them, but that won't win you matches. Your good players win you matches. So maybe maybe it has gone slightly too far, but they are intriguing guys, and you know they. Uh, I, I sort of thought after the Manchester derby, which really delivered with a lot of build up to it. Sometimes the games with big build up don't deliver. But it was, a, it was a terrific game with all sorts of facets to it. But would it have been the same? Would it have been seen the same if it was Van Gaal against Pellegrini, which it was last year? And they're not, you know, Louis Van Gaal is a bit of, a, a bit of an image coming towards the end of his career, but, but Pellegrini very understated. And there you've got, you know, Mourinho and Guardiola sort of sharpening us all up for it, and obviously including the players themselves. And that was very much a part of a big day which might have fallen flat those elements hadn't been there. So I think we've got to embrace it and enjoy it and talk about it. And listen, we're in the business of finding things to talk about, aren't we? So the more <laughs> that there are, more subjects there are, the more people there are that, that the, the listeners engage with, then, then the, more, um, the more work there is for us guys. Martin, uh, Vinny again, I've got an unashamed man crush on man who cans Latsy Ibrahimovic. I think he's the best thing that's happened to the EPL for a while. Do you have a man crush on any particular player? <laughs> No, my crushes are all on ladies. And, uh, <laughs> I'm far too old, as my birth certificate will tell you on this particular day, to be able to talk about them on the air because they'd probably be seen as not appropriate. Um, so, no, I, I just I, what I do enjoy is the, the, the goal-scoring moment in commentaries. You know that I, I've seen some wonderful nil-nil draws, but um, you know the, the, it, everybody goes there to see goals, really, and and he's struck gold, hasn't he? Five in five for Manchester United. A lot of speculation as to whether they were getting him on the on his downward path uh, from 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 the great career that he's had. Um, but he's arrived as a strong person as well as a strong player, and uh, he's been very important in the way that they started. And he scored a very good goal in the derby and was a, a 
bit of a gift, the ball coming his way, but still took a lot of um, controlling to get that uh, volley into to get Manchester United their goal. So, um, no, but I think um, they, the, the, it, it's the... Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I don't commentate on women's football because you know, <laughs> I probably would have been inappropriate and not be on your show. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, oh, sorry, Martin, one last one before we let you go. Leicester City, will we ever see an achievement like that, uh, a team that's come out of nowhere and no one ever expecting to, to win the league, win the league the way they did, given this uh, you know this era of so much money and and you know, you know, big big clubs that can really buy anyone they want it around the world. Well, I, I think probably it's, uh, it's it's less likely. I mean, we've been lots of comparisons over the you know the Leicester story about what it related to. Um, and there was um, you know, going way back to Ipswich Town in the early 1960s when Alf Ramsey then went on to manage England to win their only World Cup. Um, uh, you know, they they came from the third tier and won and won the league. Uh, and that was a wonderful achievement. Nottingham Forest did it under Brian Clough, and then won two European Cups, stroke Champions League, as you would call them today, which is which is incredible because uh, there's no way Leicester are going to do that, although they're setting out tonight on the road to try and do it. Um, so I think in the modern game, we've talked a lot about the industry and, and, and how you know, there are some super clubs, uh, and Leicester aren't regarded as super club. It was truly extraordinary. I think in the in the Premier, we've had this is the 25th season of the Premier League. Um, it's by far the best. I, I thought Arsenal going through a season unbeaten was in, uh, an amazing achievement in that invincible campaign 0304. Um, but this for me. Uh, Leicester winning the league tops it. They they won, you know, boys. They won the league by ten points. Mm, they, mm. they didn't sneak across the line. Um, but now they're finding it hard, to, obviously, to to play as defending champions. They they've got more competition to play in playing in Europe. But they had a free free run, a bit like Chelsea and Liverpool. I mean, Chelsea and Liverpool aren't playing in Europe this week, which is why they're playing. Uh, on Friday night in front of the domestic cameras, that game can be put in a European week where they would not be involved. Mm. So they're going to have a chance. So what what Leicester have done have given a kick up the backside to all the the, the clubs that are supposed to be superior to them because everybody's going now. But well, how have you let Leicester do it? <laughs> Arsenal fingers under pressure. Arsenal they came second. But well, you know, Leicester shouldn't have won it. Arsenal fans are saying we should win it. And so every team that's sort of in that super group and and there's quite a few of them now. Um, in England, it's, it's not a two-horse race as it might be seen in Spain, or a three-horse race. The credit to Atletico Madrid as well. Um, you know, six or seven clubs that can win the Premier League, but Leicester aren't one of those, and the others probably aren't one of those either. But you never know. It's in a very harsh, pragmatic industry of realism. You know, we're all attracted to it for romance. Uh, that's what sport's about, and we've just had an Olympics with that, um, and and uh, the, that kind of reminder um, that it can happen is is great. It restores it's restored a lot of um, belief in the game over here, um, and and well well done, Leicester. Even if nobody does it again for another thirty forty years, it'll be worth the wait. Absolutely, Martin. Job done as far as we're concerned. Hey, we really appreciate your time uh, on your birthday, no less. And uh, you've always been so generous with the Diego. I do feel I've been rather serious. I, I hope that hasn't set so oh. what you set out to do. I'm not normally like this, but maybe it is the uh, the. Uh, 
awareness of age. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, we normally have a bit more banter than this. No, no, Martin. You, well, you've, we'll, you, save, you've, we'll save that for you, the next time. You just give us credibility. That's what you've done, it, mate. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's because we've left it so long. We, we won't leave it so long uh, next time, Martin. We'll get you, we will call you. It might, it might be dangerous leaving it too long looking at my birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll come back soon, guys, and, and, and more power to you. I've always enjoyed talking to you. I'm, I'm delighted. Listen, uh, from my end, I should come congratulate you for the length of service that you've put into your broadcasting careers as well. Uh, that's Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we love it uh, like you love it and uh, you know the game's just growing in this side of the, on this side of the world as well so we're very very proud of that and uh, we'll continue to do it. So thanks for your time. Have a great day. Happy birthday and we'll talk to you again very very soon. Take care guys. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Thanks Martin. There's the world's greatest commentator Martin Tyler.